So for Isaiah to be a true prophet of the Lord, he had to speak forth prophecy, but not only prophecy, uh, speaking, thus says the word of the Lord, 700 years from now. And the people will say, well, how do we know for sure that 700 years from now this is going to take place? God gave them a near fulfillment of the prophecy. Israel had qualified Isaiah as a true prophet of God, one that could be relied upon because he spoke the truth of God. But by the time of Jesus' birth, it was around 700 years that had passed. And Isaiah gave his Emmanuel prophecy, though, and now it's going to be fulfilled. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Isaiah 7.14 is a, a verse that is quoted every year at Christmas time. And without a doubt, you'll hear... Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning. And you'll hear this verse, Isaiah 7, 14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So tonight I want us to actually look at a little of the backstory of Isaiah 7, 14. It's always important to get the context of Bible passages. Sometimes in the book of Proverbs, it's just a standalone verse, but usually the majority of the Bible, there's context surrounding the events that give reason for prophecy to be spoken. And this prophecy we'll discover tonight actually had a twofold fulfillment. And it's important that there were two fulfillments of this prophecy. The first fulfillment would give the people of Israel confidence that the Lord would also fulfill his word concerning the second coming. And so tonight we're going to look at a message I titled Emmanuel. And we are going to see in verses 1 through 12 a great apostasy. And then we'll see a great sign from God in verses 13 and 14. And Emmanuel, God with us, we'll go over to Matthew's gospel and pick up in chapter 1 where it is quoted by the angel of the Lord to Joseph to give him confidence in what was being told him. We'll look at that as we get through the word of God tonight. The sign, Isaiah 7, verses 13 and 14, we see a great sign from God. In verse 13, he says, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing 
for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now like many of the Old Testament prophecies, often they had dual fulfillments. And this was necessary if there was going to be a later fulfillment of a prophecy. It, obviously, it didn't have to be this way, but God did this for the people's benefit to know that Isaiah was a prophet of the Lord. They would be a near fulfillment of this prophecy because the latter prophecy, the second fulfillment of this prophecy, would come some 700 years later. That's a long time to wait for a prophecy to be fulfilled. So in the meantime, the Lord said, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to the son. And this is thought to have been Isaiah's virgin bride who gave birth to a son. And not thought to be, it tells us in chapter 8 that his uh, bride had a baby and they named the baby there. I'll get to the names of them in a little bit. And the meaning of Isaiah and his two sons that are named in scripture for us. And yet the Bible tells us that before their son, Isaiah and his wife's son, would know good from evil, that the Syrian-Israeli alliance would be broken. And so it would be very short, very quick, before he knew good from evil, about the age of two years old, this alliance would be broken and they would not come against Judah. Even though Judah's land would be greatly diminished at this time, how could it not? They already had 120,000 men die in a battle in one day. Their country was diminished, and yet they still did not turn their hearts back toward the Lord God of Israel, who had founded them and formed them as a nation. In verse 18, the Lord said, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for a fly, Egypt. That is from the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt. And for a bee that is in the land of Assyria, referring to the Assyrians, they will come and all of them will rest in a desolate valleys and in the clefts of the rocks and in the thorns and all the pastures. Again, historically, we find that what took place after this is it wasn't great for Israel, but God planted them there in a really unlikely place upon the earth. I don't know. If any of you have had the opportunity to visit the land of Israel, but, you know, if they don't water it, nothing grows. It's a very dry and arid place. It does have some areas that are more tropical. But again, just say 100 years ago, it was so desolate. The mosquitoes were so bad in that area that nobody wanted to live there until slowly but surely in the late 1800s, the Jews started returning to the land, buying property, drying up the waters, uh, planting eucalyptus trees and making it a beautiful place that it is today. But it is a very dry and desolate place. Unless the Lord blesses it with the early and spring rains and the land is tended and cared for. But also this area of Israel and this is what I was getting to, because this happened to them often, and it happened with Israel and Assyria. If anyone from Babylon, Assyria, from the north wanted to attack Egypt, they had two choices to get down to Egypt. They could travel a long route on the uh, eastern side of a ridgeland, a mountain region, 
And it was a long route from Babylon to Egypt that way, and it was a hard road to travel. Or they could cut across through Israel. And through Israel, they could have water, they could raid Israel and get food for their battle, their armies and such. But for a period of time, God planted these soldiers right in Israel. It became the battleground. And the Assyrian and Egyptian forces contended there in the land of Israel. Their place became a desolate place. In fact, God said in verse 20, in the same day, the Lord will shave with the haired razor with those who are beyond the river and the king of Assyria, so Egypt and Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs and the beard would be removed. And this isn't talking about, although it gives a picture of someone shaving a man from head to toe, they're talking about the desolation that would come upon their land, that those who would survive according to Isaiah 7:15 and Isaiah 8:21 and 22, they would live on a diet of curds and honey. This is what this child would grow up eating, a time of war. It reminded me of my dad who was raised very poor in southern Illinois. And I remember one time my mom making beans and cornbread, and I like beans and cornbread. Get an old ham bone and some ham left on it, cook it up, have some cornbread. It's a good meal. But I remember my dad saying one time, he said, Doris, he said, you guys used to eat this every once in a while. I ate this every day. He goes, I don't like beans and cornbread. He didn't think anything was special about that meal when mom made beans and cornbread, although she still made it. Once their beautiful grain fields, they were trampled by war. No one even attempted to tend the land. Why tend the land? Because the battles are taking place. The soldiers are just going to come and strip it away. They were living on the bare necessities. Briars and thorns would grow up in the place of their crops, the wheats, the grains, the lands. They would become this desolate place at that time. And so Isaiah 8, 3 and 4 says, Then I went up to the prophetess. This is the fulfillment, the short-term fulfillment of the prophecy. Isaiah, I went up to the prophetess. She conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Merashalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall know knowledge to cry, My father, my mother, the riches of Damascus, the spoils of Syria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. So Isaiah's sons, this son around two years of age, the Assyrians then would conquer Syria. Ten years later, they would take Israel. Judah was in a place of great trouble when this prophecy first came to them. But God promised to save them. In fact, Isaiah's name means Yah has saved or Jehovah has saved. In the prophet's very name, it declared the salvation of God to the people. His first son's name meant a remnant shall return. And that second child that was born, whose name I tried to pronounce, it means speedy as prey. It's going to happen really fast. Isaiah and his sons represented both the coming calamity, but also God's forthcoming salvation. Now on Christmas, John, why are you going through all this? Well, here's what, for one, I had mentioned a few weeks ago that 
every Christmas season for the last 21 years. I've never taught Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, nor Isaiah 7, verse 14. I've always referenced them, but I've never taught from the actual source of the prophecy from where they came. And so I wanted to deal with that this year. Besides, after 21 years of doing Christmas messages, you either put it on repeat or you try to figure out a new way to do it. And I was hoping to do something more. But here's what I kept thinking about today. Back in Deuteronomy 18.22, Moses told the children of Israel that when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen nor come to pass, it is a thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So for Isaiah to be a true prophet of the Lord, he had to speak forth prophecy, but not only prophecy, uh, speaking thus says the word of the Lord 700 years from now, and the people will say, well, how do we know for sure that 700 years from now this is going to take place? God gave them a near fulfillment of the prophecy. But not only for the people of Israel, but think about this. As we get into our final point here in Matthew chapter 3, or chapter 1, verse 23. When the angel came to Joseph, it was around 700 years later. And this prophecy was known by Joseph. I believe the prophecy was known by Joseph because Israel had qualified Isaiah as a true prophet of God in every prophecy that he gave, and he gave many, that they had qualified, in fact, canonized Isaiah in the book of what we call the Old Testament, but in, in their book, the Torah and the books that would come after that, the Hebrew scriptures, that Isaiah was a prophet of God, one that could be relied upon because he spoke the truth of God. But by the time of Jesus' birth, it was around 700 years that had passed. And Isaiah gave his Emmanuel prophecy, though. And now it's going to be fulfilled. As we see in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, we get into the story, and I just encourage you as families, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, take time with your family to read the Christmas story. Read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. You don't have to do the genealogies if you don't want to. You can pick up in verse 18. But read from chapter 1 down into chapter 2 to get the story of the birth. Or go over to Luke's Gospel and read the account from there. I'm challenging you to do it because I'm not going to do it for you. I will summarize it for you a little bit. At this point, we come into the passage. We discover that Joseph is perplexed. Having discovered that his betrothed, his wife-to-be, technically, according to Jewish law, they were married. They had a marriage certificate. They had not consummated the marriage yet. They were not living together yet. But there had been a marriage certificate produced. The betrothal period, usually around a year's time. During that time, we know, according to the Christmas story, that Mary went to see Elizabeth, her older cousin, that she heard was with child. While Mary was gone, no doubt Joseph was busy preparing their house. Uh, back in their day, kind of preparing the house, 
usually you inherited the family farm, and so it could mean that Joseph was building a room addition onto the family estate where he and his wife would live. One day, Joseph would inherit the estate. That would be the main way that these things would take place. But as Joseph prepared, he was building, no doubt, preparing for his bride to come. He discovered when she came that she was with child. And as he pondered these things, in Matthew 1, verses 21 through 23, an angel came to him in a dream by night. And by the way, every time Joseph is spoken to by an angel, it's always when he's dreaming. That's how it worked for Joseph. Maybe that's how it works for you. I don't know. But for Joseph, it was while he dreamed. Every time scripture talks about Joseph being directed by an angel, it came to him in a dream. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now here's the significance. Because God fulfilled the near prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 during the days of Isaiah, then the people of Israel of that time understood Isaiah to be a true prophet of God. Now, the angel ties this very same prophecy to the birth of Jesus Christ. In this Jewish boy's mind, and by the way, Joseph and Mary might have been teenagers at this time. In his mind, he might have thought, well, if God fulfilled the prophecy then, and the angel is giving me the same prophecy now, then it must be true. It is Matthew who gives us a great glimpse of Joseph. And I, I love just looking at a character study of Joseph in this passage. When I look through this passage, I discover that Joseph was a just, a compassionate, obedient, and honorable man. He was just because when he discovered that Mary was with child, the Bible tells us he wanted to do the right thing for her. He was compassionate because he did not want to make Mary a public example. And according to scripture, the Mosaic law, a woman found with child that wasn't married, they were to be stoned to death. So the person who got her pregnant, they probably didn't stone people then, but still written a letter of divorce. He would have annulled the betrothment. He didn't want to make her a public example. He was obedient because he believed the testimony of the angel who came to him in a dream. And here's what's important. The angel's words combined with the word of God caused Joseph to take Mary to be his wife. Angels are often in the news, sometimes in our movies or in television shows. But if the message that angel presents conflicts with the word of God, then that angel should not be believed. Now, I want to point out that the angel spoke truth to Joseph, but also used the word of God, was not conflicting against the word of God. Paul said in Galatians 1.8, but 
even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what has been preached, let him be accursed. There is only uh, the word of God, one truth to the word of God. Sometimes we get a little mixed up in our understanding of it, but the word of God is still the word of God. The angel gave him direction, told Joseph to take Mary as his wife, that she would have a son, and said, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua, or Jehovah is salvation. And what a privilege it must have been for Joseph to name Jesus. On naming day, it's the eighth day that they circumcise a boy and name the child. He also gave him the mission you shall call his name Jesus, and the reason you call him Jesus, Yahweh is salvation, is because, verse 21, he shall save his people from their sins. And then finally, he called him Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation, God being born as a babe, fully human, but yet fully divine, growing into a man, and we know ultimately going to the cross that he could pay the price of our sin. And it is my hope that you have realized that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The realization that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus died upon the cross, rose again from the grave. There's a number of people who could say, yeah, I believe that. I believe that there was a historic Jesus. I believe that he was crucified. I can even believe that he resurrected from the grave. And yet there are still some who, though they believe those three important things, they fall short in receiving Jesus into their hearts. It's not just believing the historic Jesus and the work of Jesus, his life, ministry, and his death, resurrection. But you have to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior. It would be like in the next couple of days, I'm sure there's going to be a number of Christmas gifts given. And it would be like having one of those gifts under the tree just sit there. It's like, John, you're going to open your gift. It's there under the tree. Nah, I'll get to it later. You're taking the tree down about a week later and, oh, there's a gift still under the tree. You got to open it now? No, I don't know. It's kind of late now. Maybe I'll wait till next year. We can just put it back under the tree. And It's a gift that needs to be given, and it has been, but it has to be received. Jesus Christ has to be received. It's my prayer that you have received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. And... Through receiving him, the Bible tells us that we then are forgiven of our sins, and that we become part of the family of God, and that there is an inheritance waiting for us in the heavenly places, that one day we will be with the Lord forever. And so, Father, we thank you for this word from Isaiah 7, 14. And I know I spent a bit of time in the Old Testament today, but I, Lord, I hope that it helps us to have a greater understanding of this prophecy. We thank you, Lord, that Isaiah was a true prophet of God who spoke forth the truth of God to his people who witnessed the fulfillment of a near prophecy that gave Joseph the encouragement to believe 
afar prophecy concerning his own life and the coming of the child of Mary. Father, I pray for us and that it would give us confidence in your word, though as we learned even on Sunday and in Kevin's message of mission unstoppable, that Lord, things are done in your perfect timing. And tonight, there was even a 700-year time gap from the time the word was first spoken until we find its fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And yet, 700 years, Lord, did not negate the prophecy. We can still rely upon the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with those who perhaps they do not yet know you. I pray this Christmas season they would open their heart to you. That through prayer, Lord, they would confess their sin and they would ask, Lord Jesus, for you to simply come into their lives, into their hearts, that you might have fellowship with them. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.